0: Smiling preacher Joel Osteen, the senior pastor of America's largest congregation, has come under fire for reportedly closing his doors to victims of the Houston floods. We'll analyze on this prosperity podcast your best car ride now. Plus, we'll have Pardis Sela and Kelly Campagna join the panel of deplorables to discuss Hillary Clinton live, God help us, North Korea's latest act of war, and the health benefits of coffee and kofefe. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Talk about the power of positive thinking. We're here today in the Ben Shapiro studio. We have taken over. Maybe this prosperity stuff really works. Uh, It is about 155 million degrees outside right now, which is the one day or one of two days of the year in the Valley of Los Angeles that they've decided to fix our air conditioning units. So we're all in this bunker. We're all uh, broadcasting out of Ben's today. Uh, And we're just going to be sweating bullets for you all. That's the kind of charity that we do here Um, So we have to talk about Joel Osteen Uh, Joel Osteen is this preacher. He's that guy who's always smiling. You see him on TV He's lumped in with the prosperity gospel big televangelist. He actually has the largest congregation in the country Uh, It's 52,000 weekly attendees. He's gotten very rich doing it. He has made I think his net worth is about 40 million dollars He lives in a ten and a half million dollar house And uh, so anyway, he was accused of closing off the doors to his Houston church, which houses or or could seat 16,000 during this flood. Initially, there was some confusion. Um, The spokesman said that the property was inaccessible, quote, because of surrounding waters. And then he went on and said, it makes no sense to open church doors when the city and county already have places for the victims to go where there are medical facilities and food and so on. Now... This was uh, contradicted by some people on social media who drove by the church and noticed that there it didn't seem to be any floods on the streets or in the parking lots. Then some members of the church came in and said, really, there are a lot of floods in certain parts of the area. So it's a little confusing. Uh, Osteen has firmly denied that they closed the doors. He said, we have never closed our doors, even though people— it appears, didn't go in there for, uh, for refuge or for housing. So hard to believe that claim exactly. A quote, we will continue to be a distribution center for those in need. We're prepared to house people once the shelters reach capacity. Lakewood Church will be a value to the community in the aftermath of this storm in helping our fellow citizens get on with their lives. Now, for those who haven't been awake at three in the morning and watched Joel Osteen preaching on TV, here is just a short clip to give you a sense of his preaching. That isn't fair. That is not fair. It was actually not Joel Osteen. That was uh, Cartman. But I just love that clip of preacher Cartman. Not totally fair, but it does give you a, a little sense of the spectacle that Joel Osteen puts on. Come saved, Michael. And, and, it's, and finally, we got our producer Marshall saved. That's a pretty good benefit. Uh, let's go to a clip of Joel Osteen actually preaching.
1: Well, God bless you. Always a joy to come into your homes. We love you. If you're ever in our area, I hope you'll stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks again for coming out. I like to start each week with something funny. And I heard about this man. He was walking up to a country store and there was a little boy sitting on the front porch with a huge dog sitting next to him. The man said, son, does your dog bite? He said, no, sir, my dog doesn't bite. Men man reached down to pet the dog, and the dog took about half of his arm off. He pulled it back and said, son, I thought you said your dog didn't bite. The little boy said, that's not my dog.
0: <laughs> now, this clip reminded me of something that my priest that I talk about Uh, Often George Rutler my priest in New York said which is that those those preachers who tell jokes like a ham actor in a dying vaudeville show Should limit their repertoire to those jokes that st. John told the Blessed Virgin while her son bled on the cross Which is a different preaching style you might tell Uh, Joel Osteen a little bit lighter a little lighter on theology in particular and the message he's preaching is all about being positive positive. Uh, Let's go. He he really zeroes in on exactly what he's talking about to a clip of of what the thesis of Joel Osteen's sermons is.
1: You may not realize it, but you entered a guilt-free zone. You might as well leave it outside. This is a righteous place.
0: It's a guilt-free zone. We shouldn't. This is very different than my own liturgical experiences as a Catholic, where we strike our breast and say, my fault, my fault, my grievous fault. Uh, it, it's all about, you know, building up self-esteem. He's written a lot of books to this uh, idea. And uh, this may be in part why he attracts 50,000 people a week to his church. Here is Osteen describing this to Chris Wallace.
1: The voice inside yourself and making sure that your inner conversation is positive. I was really
0: struck by that. Explain what that means. Yeah,
1: I think it's it's a problem that a lot of people have. And it keeps them back. It holds them back in life. And it's, uh, I believe, in our subconscious or in our thinking that we have a conversation going with ourselves or or I call it a recording playing and a lot of people the recording is negative you know I have friends they'll preach a great sermon and they'll drive home thinking well I didn't do good today and if I'd just done it a little bit better but I try to teach people that I believe God wants us to be positive toward ourselves meaning that you know what I I like the way I look I like the way I sound I'm happy with what I'm doing in my career and not always be beating ourselves down I think that's just uh, you know I I see people they won't be negative toward other people, but inside they're negative toward themselves, and I think that holds us back.
0: Now, it's really hard not to like this guy. Some people describe him as Tony Robbins, who occasionally talks about God. He is just this very positive, nice, obviously very talented speaker, articulate, uh, and so that this is what he's preaching, his positivity, um, whether or not it was a fair attack, it's unclear. Some tweets said that it, you know, he did close the doors to his neighbors. Some tweets said that he did not close the doors to his neighbors. Uh, it, it's re- I'm really not sure, nor does it really matter. They're doing a great job at the recovery efforts in Houston. Anyway, the more interesting thing is this theology is this movement that is so in many ways, American, this prosperity theology. And, uh, For a reference of this, Joel Osteen sent out one tweet that's gotten quite popular, which uh, said, quote, Don't waste time with people who don't appreciate what you have to offer. The people around you should celebrate who you are. And this presents an obvious problem because the center of the religion that Joel Osteen is ostensibly preaching was a guy who spent a lot of time with people who didn't appreciate him. They so didn't appreciate him that they nailed him to a cross and killed him. And then three days later, he came back from the dead. So there is a a little bit of a, a, a problem in this theology. And some people are angrier at him than others. A lot of people call him a heretic and someone preach a false prophet and and you see these sort of things. Uh, I'm not sure that that's quite fair because I don't know that he's ever called himself a true prophet. Um, th- the question is what what does prosperity mean? The this prosperity theology that he preaches has roots back in the 19th century. It goes back to a guy named Oral Roberts who is a minister. Joel Osteen attended Oral Roberts University and he basically said expect material, expect a material Prosperity, trust in God, and good things are going to happen to you. Um, it, it comes from a mixture of Pentecostalism, uh, the New Thought, which was a movement also in the 19th century. It comes from the, the unpublished writings of Phineas Quimby, and it's basically the power of positive thinking and the Gospel of Wealth, which is Andrew Carnegie's theory of philanthropy. That when wealth disparity became immense in the United States during that time, it was a incumbent upon the rich to help the poor in a way that would actually benefit them and not encourage the promulgation of vice or something to that effect. Now, there is some biblical warrant to this point of view that if you trust in God and you have faith and, you know, you do your best and God will do the rest, that you'll have a good material life. We see this especially in Deuteronomy. Uh, if you follow God's commands, you will prosper. If you don't, then you won't. We see it in Psalms. Psalms is constantly talking about following God's will and and it will bring you uh, good good returns. And Christ says this too. In, in the New Testament, we have seek ye the kingdom, first the kingdom of God, the rest will be given unto you. The birds of the air and the flowers of the field are dressed very well and they don't do anything. How much more will our Lord take care of you? How much more will your father in heaven take care of you? And so there, there is a scriptural basis for a lot of what he's saying. And, and it seems unfair to criticize him as being totally outside of scripture. The trouble is there are a lot of scriptures that also uh, don't talk about this. And it's hard to talk to someone in the third world or someone who's suffering from a terminal illness and say, well, just have better faith and more good things will happen to you. That seems shallow and unlikely uh, because the scripture also includes Job. Job is a good guy. He does everything God asks him to do. And because God makes a bet with the devil, just the worst imaginable things befall him. He loses his family, he loses his wealth, he loses his health. Everything is taken away from him. Um, you know, it's, it's not so much that what Joel Osteen says is wrong. It's that he leaves out a lot of things that are right. So you notice on his altar, on his stage, there's no cross. And one reason given for that is that he doesn't want to alienate people who would find the cross offensive or off-putting. Um, and, and there's no serious accounting for suffering. Suffering is always a test, uh, you know, in, in his account of things. And that doesn't seem to be the case throughout our experience of humanity and, and in orthodox Christianity. So, you know, uh, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Aquinas has asked this, why do wicked men prosper? And, uh, You know, what what do we really mean by prosperity? If you read Joel Osteen and think of prosperity as a spiritual prosperity and the joy that comes from faith, then he's absolutely right. Then what he's saying is absolutely true. If you read it and it means you make $40 million and you have a very nice house in in Houston, I don't know that that's exactly theologically sound. Um, You know, Osteen also talks about charity a lot, and he's dinged for this. Here's him on Larry King talking about his works, talking about charity. Uh, we've had ministers on who said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, you are, you are going to heaven. And if you yeah. don't, no matter what you've done in your life, yeah. you ain't.
1: Yeah, it's I don't know. It's, there's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ. But I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. And I think it's a cop out to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything to but help What anybody. if you're Jewish or Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? You know, I, I just, I'm very careful about saying who and who would and wouldn't go to heaven. I don't know. I think only but God. you
0: believe, you have to believe in Christ. I like, believe. They're it. wrong, aren't
1: they? Well, you? I don't know if I believe they're wrong. I believe here's what the Bible teaches and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe, but I just think that only God can judge a person's heart.
0: And Osteen here, you have to give it to him, is quite honest. He, uh, This is theologically sound. James says, uh, faith without works is dead. Christ says, whoever does the will of my father is my brother and my sister and my mother. And uh, now one, one issue here is Osteen says, well, only God can judge. Nobody has the keys to the kingdom of heaven. But we know that isn't true. We know that Christ tells Peter, Peter, you're uh, you're now Simon. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Here are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's a real honesty in Osteen saying that guy isn't me. <laughs> I, I do not have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to condemn people, and I'm not going to uh, tell tell you who is going to heaven. And his reluctance to talk about that is seen as cowardice, I think, in a lot of quarters in Christianity and on the right. But at least he's honest. He's not overstepping his bounds. Uh, uh, one issue is he always talks about how good we are, build up self-esteem. But let's not forget, Jesus says in the scripture, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but me, but one that is God. Uh, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So now we're talking about Joel Osteen's charity, and we're brought up against this one big act, his moment to shine. This once-in-a-lifetime natural disaster hits his hometown, and it appears that he did not handle this very well. Whether he really locked the doors or not, clearly he was not opening this monster church to invite the people of his neighborhood in. This is going to fuel his critics. This is going to fuel people who say he's only in it for the money. I'm not accusing him of that. I'm not certain of it. I, I, he's always seemed... A lot better than some of the other prosperity preachers and televangelists to me but it's a real mark against him and he's gonna to have to answer for that you know he, he is primarily a, a televangelist and an author all of his books have basically the same title become a better you your best life now it's your time think better live better and, and he's really he's honest about what he does and what he doesn't do here's him also on Fox News Sunday
1: you know as a pastor I'm not trying to get everybody to, uh, that's not my main calling, like Billy Graham's, he was an evangelist, he went out trying to win everybody to Christ, and I am ultimately trying to do that, but I'm trying to teach people how to live their everyday lives, and so I, I do focus on it, probably not as much as some people would like.
0: He admits he's not an evangelist in the traditional sense. He's very straightforward about that. I took a look at his Twitter feed. He has, Joel Osteen has tweeted 16,100 times. He's used the words Jesus or Christ 112 times, which is a fairly small percentage of all of his tweets. Now, the guy is honest about what he is. We're seeing his true colors probably in this storm, and uh, that— would be just fine, except that he is the senior pastor of the largest church in America. So now we need to bring on our all-female panel of deplorables, and we have two new guests today. We have Kelly Campagna and Pardis Sela, who has written for The Daily Wire before and uh, now is writing for lots of other people. Kelly, you are no stranger to that old-time religion. Is there any room in this world for the prosperity gospel?
2: Well, um, my... I'm going to step back for a minute and put the question to a, uh, aside. I think that the problem with Joel Olstein not opening his church is more so a liability question because my, my dad was actually a pastor for 10 years, and we had a school— actually come to and they had some problems with their boiler it blew up or something and they wanted to use our building which was right across the street and they said can we do that and my dad said okay but then he actually had to increase the insurance just on the building just so that they could use the church or the church building for uh three weeks or whatever it was um for the, the christian school across the street so i shockingly enough i'm defending joel Osteen on this <laughs> issue it may be other liability reasons why he can't open the doors that are not being talked about because churches have to bend over backwards just to keep their own property i went to a church in the san francisco bay area that they were uh, requiring all kinds of expensive changes just so that they could keep the building and then they were told afterwards oh yeah you're gonna have to fix uh, revert the building back to its original status when you leave so um they that, that's kind of beside the whole prosperity gospel thing. I no, but think- I
0: felt that too. I I agreed that you know I often judge a man by his critics. And the people who were pouncing on Osteen didn't seem to me people who thought he wasn't Christian enough. It was people who were pouncing on him because he purports to be a Christian. And there is this obvious liability issue. There are uh, what seemed to be plenty of housing facilities for these victims already in Houston. So if they don't need to open up the this space, which doesn't have adequate doctors and perhaps food and so on and so forth, then why do it? I felt it was a little bit of a disingenuous attack on him, though there are plenty of other reasons to discuss the issues right. with his, uh, what he does.
2: Just on the point of the prosperity gospel, I, I noticed with Joel Olstein that there's never any biblical references. There's never any citations of verses. And that's kind of, for me, I can't take somebody seriously if they don't actually know the Bible and they're trying to tell me how to live my life and what I should and shouldn't be doing. I've grown up with these types of people all my life, and I'm repulsed by a lot of what they do. It's, it's I mean he's you know we you got to think better about yourself this is a guilt-free zone um romans three twenty-three: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god Do we forget about that verse there i mean uh jesus died to make you wealthy yeah he was thinking that when he was uh when he had nails in his hands and feet that's exactly what he was thinking about right there
0: man that, yeah, was, I, that was quite a defense of joel osteen that really took a turn <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well oh, yeah. on that point Dear viewers, we have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Thank you to all the current subscribers who can go over right now to dailywire.com. We really appreciate it because normally we're able to take those subscriptions and have studios with air conditioning, except for uh, today. Today we're in this bunker, and that's totally fine. If you go over there right now, it is $10 a month, $100 a year. You get me, you get the Andrew Klavan Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, but forget all that. You get the leftist tears tumbler. uh, On a day like this, 105 degrees outside, I cannot wait for that camera to go off. I'm going to fill this up with some nice, icy, cold, always salty and delicious leftist tears and sit out by the pool. It is going to be absolutely fantastic. And if you can stick around and watch the rest of the panel of deplorables, we will teach you the seven tricks to have a better life today, to be the best you. So go over there right now, dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Hillary Clinton is hitting the road. This this is the worst story. This is worse than the North Korean nukes. Hillary Clinton is going on the road. It's going to be a 15-city Hillary Clinton live tour. You can attend for a mere $1,200 per ticket. Is that all? That's all. That for a one low price of $1,200 a ticket to see a woman who just keeps losing the presidency. Partis, I hesitate to even ask. This tour is going through some states that she lost last time around. Is she seriously considering running a third time?
3: Well, she's done it before. I wouldn't be surprised if she did it again. Running when you know that you have, you know, you've already lost and continuing to run. I don't see any reason why she would stop. She didn't have a better chance before. I guess
0: that's true. What is she going to do now? Kelly, when will it end? When will Hillary Clinton finally, after I think 3,000 years of haunting this earth, when will she finally fade away?
2: Well, I thought that the, the name of her tour, Hillary Clinton Live, was rather an oxymoron since we were all making fun of her for uh, looking like a poor
0: <laughs> <family>. <laughs> Hillary but, Clinton uh, Undead. That's going to be the new name <laughs> of the tour. <laughs>
2: It's The Walking Dead, season five, uh, starring Hillary Clinton, uh, <laughs> who, by the way, is Michael Knowles, uh distant relative, which is just very disturbing I, to me. I but, was hoping uh, nobody
0: would bring that up. I didn't want to have to relive yeah. that trauma. But Hillary Clinton <laughs> is, I believe, my second cousin once removed. That a is a, a, a damn shame.
2: But uh, I, I think that Hillary just doesn't <laughs> understand that that it's time to quit. I mean, obviously, I-, I think she should have quit after the 2008 run or, you know, certainly after the-, the incredible smackdown in 2012. You should think, okay, I'm I'm really unpopular. I should just fade away, be a grandma. It's time to be done. But when-, when you have somebody who has spent her entire life and devoted her entire life to one thing and that's running for president, it's probably just impossible for her to let that go. She doesn't know how to do anything else other than you know, make or request money and run for office. And
0: what else is she going to do? I have this image of hers at her kitchen sink with a Brillo pad, like out damn spot, you know, and she's just rubbing it for years and years. She says, okay, I got to do something else. I got to go on the road or something. Part is Hillary Clinton in this tour. (laughs) I have to quote this. She promises to let loose and tell her audience a personal, raw, detailed and surprisingly Mm. funny story of her election loss nobody buys her books her own party hates her who is going to show up for this thing
3: uh i mean anyone who's exactly. for her <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, on to someone who won the presidency, President Trump has warned that all options are on the table with regard to North Korea after they launched a missile that fired over Japan on Tuesday. Now, this is the fourth missile that North Korea has fired in four days. Kelly, I thought we took care of this. What is the end game here for North Korea?
2: That's an excellent question, and I'm not really sure what—I mean, I think that North Korea is basically trying to, you know, put— show that it has muscle or whatever. Um, but I think that, you know, my first, uh, instinct with North Korea has always been to, uh, bomb them and, you know, pick up the pieces later, but that's why I'm not president. So I, yeah, I think Yeah, the people that, of
0: Seoul are, are very yeah, happy that <laughs> you're not in the Oval Office.
2: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, Trump needs to respond with, uh, a very measured response, um, you know. In the past, and this is why I've actually supported President Trump's uh, foreign policy. Largely, um, in the past, we've had President Obama, you know, uh, come up with a red line, and then uh, Russia or Syria or whatever will cross the red line. Okay, we're we're drawing a new red line now.
0: You know, part well, it is- Seems like they've already. I'm sorry, been go doing ahead.
3: That. And it seems like they've already been doing that. It just hasn't been reported yet. And mm. uh, even I think it was earlier today on Fox and Friends um uh, Gorka who had just resigned he he had kind of hinted that that's that's what the Trump administration was already doing that the US has already been interfering in North Korea's mu- uh, missile tests. but I mean this was something that was that was confidential and it wasn't it's it hasn't been reported in the media for obvious reasons and they I mean it might be this point it's not confidential Uh, anymore
0: (laughs) i don't think fox and friends is the it it is a morning briefing for the president but i don't know if it's the classified one (laughs) yeah now on a much more important story a much more relevant story to all of our lives coffee is apparently good for your health uh the european society of cardiology is reporting that uh, participants who consumed at least four cups of coffee per day in a fairly broad study had a 64 percent lower risk of all-cause mortality than those who almost never consumed coffee. Now Pardis, we already know that covfefe is good for your health. Uh, Is coffee also healthy and is this just evidence that scientists have no idea what they're talking about because one day they tell us one thing and the next day they tell us completely the opposite?
3: It's just evidence that I know what I'm talking about because I've been drinking coffee for a long time now. Uh, and so I secretly knew that coffee. I was have too. I started
0: drinking it. coffee when I was six years old, and I think I'd probably be like six foot four if I hadn't, you know. But I don't regret it one bit. I have no regrets. Every one of those delicious double lattes, I cherish in my memory, Kelly. Is there a strain of anti-science on the right? You know, we joke about these guys don't know what they're talking about and it'll be the opposite tomorrow. But is there something about the right that does question these scientists? And if so, is it justified?
2: I think it's definitely justified because one minute it's, it's butter that's bad. No, now it's margarine. No, no, it's butter again. That's you why know, I eat them they're... all.
0: I try, I try yeah. to keep a balanced <laughs> diet of butter, margarine, and I, sometimes I'll just spray Pam directly into my mouth.
2: Oh gosh, that sounds disgusting, but um, it's, you know, it's cholesterol, it's it's gluten now, and what's it going to be in 10 years? Um, I do think that there is a tendency, because the right has been tricked or uh, misled so many times, that even when the left is correct on some sort of scientific study, the right is just automatically going to question it, because so many times you've had as I said, you know, it's butter, it's margarine. I can't believe it's not butter. I mean, all the rest of it, you know it, it's um, it's almost like a bait and switch, oh, and, and because
0: free- science gets politicized, I mean that right. the real point is, I can't believe it's not science. When yeah. we talk about global warming, when we talk about d- different areas of of health science, very often it's politicians who are pushing this. Let's not forget it wasn't a scientist who made the movie An Inconvenient Truth. It was a failed presidential candidate. So, I mean, is is that the issue? Is there any way to depoliticize scientific research? Or are they always going to have policy recommendations and that's always going to be political?
2: That's actually something I haven't really thought about. I don't, it's very, once you politicize something, I, I, I can't think of a single example of depoliticizing it. Right. It would be nice if we could take the I think it, it comes down to a money issue. Um, if you take away the federal grants and require that they all be private, um, you're still going to have whatever agenda is behind the private money, but at least it's not um, tied to the government in any way. You don't have uh, politicians necessarily pushing it unless they're part of the private organization. So the only thing I can suggest off the top of my head is privatization. But uh, yeah, it's very hard to de-politicize. That's your
0: something. answer for everything, Callie. Privatize, privatize. That's my answer, too. Okay, <laughs> we are running late, and I'm melting, so i got to get out of this studio. Panel, thank you so much for being here. Part of Ceyla and Kelly Callie Now it is time for me to put on my smart glasses and mop the sweat off my brow and read the final thought. If prosperity preachers like Joel Osteen encourage you to do better for yourself... There doesn't seem to me anything particularly wrong with that. Within that narrow scope that Osteen sets for himself, perhaps his message can encourage people. If so, go with God. The worry is that people might take him for something that he himself admits that he's not. In The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis describes heresy not as the promotion of vice over virtue, but rather as the promotion of some particular virtue over all the others. Charity to the exclusion of prudence, justice to the exclusion of charity, The power of positive thinking is neither a theological nor a cardinal virtue, and it shouldn't be confused for one, lest another Lewis admonition creep up on you. He warns, if you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth. Only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. On that despairing note, I am Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow and we'll give you hope.